Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The most interesting doctor in the world, Dr. Robert Malone, who I was just confessing my... My uh, my uh, my pains at not being able to grow a full face of beard, which I inherited from my grandfather as he's sitting here with a magnificent mane and not here quite yet, but he should be popping in any moment. I guess he's too famous for us now being on Joe Rogan as Dr. Peter McCullough. But Dr. Malone just broke 500,000 followers on Twitter. So, I mean, that's that's something. But as everyone knows, you've been here before. You are the inventor of the mRNA vaccine, despite what the media would like to slander you as anything but that. And um, you were obviously doing podcasts day in and day out and doing the Lord's work. But there is a lot to talk about. And I did want to ask you, have you seen the White House, uh, the press release from last night or this morning about the Omicron variant? Oh, no, please tell me. Oh. I can't keep up with uh, Jen Psaki. Oh, du- oh, dude. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to. Oh, oh this, is, this is the dark winter one. Yeah, 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 yeah. We are intent on not letting Omicron disrupt work and school for the vaccinated. You've done the right thing. We'll get through this. All right. For the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourselves, your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. Right. So, Thank you for that joke. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, Merry this Christmas. Was, this, was brought, this was brought to my attention. I, I, I actually have two um, Newsmax interviews. One in the can and one happens at nine tonight. And uh, so this was brought up in the earlier one. And uh, my comment was, I can't help remembering Ronald Reagan's Morning in America campaign. Uh, what a contrast, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that like, shining beacon on a hill. But we, we, need, we need hope. We don't need uh, this constant barrage of fear porn. Um, and oh, by the way, um, on Omicron, the data keep rolling in, uh, showing um, little or no death. Uh, I just posted a fantastic little graph tracking uh, South African cases and death um, over the last few months. And you go through the prior waves with Delta, et cetera, and, and the case count goes up, the death goes up. And then uh, Omicron spikes and the death stays flat at close to zero. Uh, then, then we had, so we've got multiple papers we could talk about. I presented a bunch of them in Nashville on Sunday, uh, that, that are all good news. Um, let me share this one just, just, uh, to tease your audience. Um, Tommy, what are the predominant symptoms of, so I'll make this a, uh, guess what I'm thinking question. What are the predominant symptoms of Omicron according to the British medical journal peer reviewed a publication from the College of London. I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're identical to the common cold. Pretty darn close. Runny nose, headache, fatigue, sneezing, and sore throat. Oh, that sounds pretty wicked. Now, uh, the esteemed Dr. McCullough has joined us. Yes. Um, fresh off of uh, 
lighting the world on fire after speaking with Mr. Rogan. <laughs> Dr. Peter McCullough, who, for everyone who hasn't listened to our earlier episodes, we now have the two titans, Dr. Malone, inventor of the mRNA vaccine, half a million followers on Twitter, Dr. Peter McCullough, the most published cardiologist in world history, fresh off of the Joe Rogan experience, and then me, of course, Dr. Tommy, with my 900 followers on Rumble after I've been permanently banned from YouTube for hosting both of you. I hadn't even thought about that. My two suspension givers and banners. <laughs> I've got my I've got my angels, and, or I guess you're both demons on my shoulders helping me get banned. Dr. McCullough, as not to be rude, how are you doing? Can't hear you. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, we can't hear you. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I just came back from the hospital. I just uh, I got back home. Don't worry about and, it. And uh, it's, it's a pleasure to join and distinct honor to join Dr. Malone and yourself, Tommy. I'm so sorry. I, I think I was the original one that uh, got you uh, demonetized. Uh, uh, and, you know, from your, your viewed as one of the up-and-coming uh, podcast journalists in the world. And sure enough, we had a discussion on COVID-19. It was all over with. The 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 best part is is how oh, I was never monetized, so it's kind of a it's kind of a big brain trick. You can't get demonetized if you've never been monetized. But I got suspensions for Malone and McCullough, and the final nail in the coffin was Doctor McCullough. It was a thirty second clip I actually excised from one of the episodes because I thought it was so important, and it was so vanilla. And Doctor McCullough, I mean, you couldn't have scripted this. He began it by saying, "Vitamins do not cure COVID nineteen." But for you and your loved ones, vaccinated or not, you should take turmeric, uh, vitamin D, zinc, and quercetin. You get them at Walmart about $7 a month. I, I took that out specifically and, and made it its own standalone thing just so I could upload it faster. And I was sending it to my friends. I was sending it to my both liberal and conservative friends, vaccinated, unvaccinated. I was like, hey, guys, here's some kind of middle of the road. This could help everyone. A lot of my listeners are older guys. And I was like, hey, just for everyone. And that YouTube decided that um, that was the final sin and that I would be crucified for that. But, yeah, Dr. And, Malone. And, and by the way, Tommy, that's, that's now listed on the official state of Florida website, I think pretty much verbatim, as their recommendation for uh, preparation and, and pretreatment uh, for COVID-19 prevention. So, all right, well, maybe I just need to move to Florida because that was it. And the best part was – <laughs> Yeah, the best part was is the title of the video was Take Your Vitamins from Dr. Peter McCullough. And that's the video that got me banned. You know, Tommy, I'm not an expert on vitamins and I have great respect for our naturopathic doctors and integrative medicine doctors who have made contributions. But, you know, I just finished with probably about a third of my clinic today were people who had COVID-19 recently. And I am so impressed with the weight loss and how in the elderly, it's such a severe uh, syndrome. I saw a patient today who had lost a clear amount of muscle mass. Now, she received first class or early home treatment. She was not hospitalized. She did get ill. And, uh, and boy, she has now, she has brain fog. She has tremulousness. She, she actually has a tremor. At the same time, she has a, 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 almost a, a new uh, disorder between what's called the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system uh, and, and we see this after uh, the illness, that there's a whole variety of post-COVID manifestations. And, uh, and, and, and my understanding of this, I'm sure Dr. Malone can add a lot of color, is that, that, that this must be in some way related to the residual effect of the spike protein in the human body after the respiratory illness. 
Dr. Malone? I think I think that's a very reasonable hypothesis. We've also got the other confounding factors of immunosuppression, uh, latent DNA virus reactivation, and God only knows whatever creepy crawlies we've got associated with this. Um, hopefully not the effects of hydra injection or uh, graphene oxide. Uh, that was that was tongue in cheek. Um, sarcasm for those uh, that are sarcasm impaired. Um, uh, but uh, um, Peter, by the way, I I have I have joined you in the hall of infamy um, today on December twentieth. I received uh, from my state board licensing board in the state of Maryland complaint uh, against me, um, and I I have uh, five days to respond. My response is due on Christmas Day, uh, and and the complaint was filed by an internist in the state of Hawaii. Um, so I just just wanted to let you know that now we can be friends. Uh, because we're part of, I'm, I finally joined your club. Uh, so, uh, I, I feel somehow, um, uh, validated. <laughs> but, you know, so, there seems I just felt the need to share that. <laughs> you know, there seems to be no end on the way home. I got a text from a, a doctor in Texas who was reaching out from his assistance. And she said that she had a complaint, uh, lodged against her that she did not encourage the vaccine in an 83-year-old patient. And, you know, her commentary was that the patient already had autoimmune illness, had some other uh, concerning um, features to the case. And, but, 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 you know, here we have vaccines that are still in the clinical development process that are emergency use authorized. And now there are complaints when doctors don't encourage the vaccines. Now, I'd Dr. Malone. Tommy, you, you're driving. So, so yeah, so from that, I kind of, so Dr. Malone and I were just talking about uh, Dr. McCullough. I don't know if, if you have seen the press release from uh, 18 hours ago, so uh, roughly midnight from uh, the White House. So for all future listeners today, is, as Dr. Malone said, Monday, December 20th, 2021. So I think this was from late last night, December 19th. We are intent on not letting Omicron disrupt work and school for the unvaccinated. You've done the right thing or for the vaccinated. You've done the right thing and we'll get through this. Sounds good for the unvaccinated. You are looking at a winter of severe, severe illness and death for yourselves, your families and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. And as Dr. Malone said, that's quite a contrast to uh, a feeling of hope, especially around Christmas. So with that, with uh, you both now getting your complaints in the halls of infamy, with uh, YouTube censoring the Joe Rogan clips from the episode with you, Dr. McCullough from LinkedIn, unpersoning you, we have all of these things kind of moving together. And more and more people are starting to wake up every day from from John Campbell on YouTube to uh, uh, Dr. Pranash. Um, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just seeing what exactly is going on, the fear mongering, 
the CEO of Pfizer saying Omicron cannot be taken down by one booster. But surprise, if you take two boosters, which, by the way, I sell, you can fight Omicron. So, Dr. McCullough, (laughs) what are your thoughts on this? And I know we're beating a dead horse, but what are your thoughts on this? These just endless waves of fear and despair. I mean, what can you an actual physician, as well as Dr. Malone, what can you say to, to tell people to not, don't, don't live in the shadow of this. This isn't a demon. This isn't, this is just another variant that they're using to shove down your throats. What could you say to people who are genuinely terrified? Yeah, as a practicing doctor, I recognize that there's, uh, you know, the medical condition of a patient, but there's also the, the psychological aspect of the patient. And here applying to populations uh, you know, it is not a healthy thing to do as a leader uh, to to speak to a population and use the words, uh, you know, dark and, and death. You know, five days before Christmas, um, uh, we have a, a situation. I was actually asked to provide some commentary that on a national news, I believe on Friday. And I said, you know, I have a joyous message uh, at Christmas. We've made great advances in treatment. I am so impressed with how our use of now the, the nasal virucidal washes with dilute uh, povidone iodine and hydrogen peroxide are really working in mass numbers now. Bangladesh is doing a terrific job with this approach. The monoclonal antibodies are absolutely fantastic. The recent addition from GlaxoSmithKline, it got the EUA in May, uh, Sochirivimab, 85% reductions in hospitalization and death. We still have Regeneron, our workhorse. Lily is back on the market with Bamilivimab and Ertisivimab. Uh, our other drugs are used in combination. I'm getting more and more uh, experience in treating patients without ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. So Dr. Chetty in South Africa, Dr. Barentios in South America, great pioneers in new ways to treat the illness. I'm becoming more convinced that famotidine clinically plays a role. I know Dr. Malone is leading a, a pivotal okay. clinical trial. Um, uh, but, you know, we have uh, available over-the-counter, uh, basically combinations of nutraceuticals and adding famotidine, oral nasal uh, virucidal therapy. This gives great hope, honestly, to Canada, the UK, Australia, uh, South America, and, and that we don't have to have the world revolve around a single drug, ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. We do have uh, additions coming from Pfizer. It's a combination of two protease inhibitors, uh, chimase-like three protease inhibitors, uh, the clinical trials large, but the rates of hospitalization and death were below 1%. So again, they recruited low-risk patients, but nevertheless, there were substantial uh, relative risk reductions. Then the Merck drug, molnupiravir, a more modest relative risk reduction. Uh, so with so many tools in the tool, toolbox, you know, I want Americans and people worldwide to know that you know our seniors and others uh, may contract COVID-19, but as long as we're prompt on early treatment, it should not be a surprise. We're two years into this. Uh, there shouldn't be any more surprise phone calls. If I got COVID-19, what should I do? Uh, we're telling everybody to know where their monoclonal antibody center is, know the, the uh, hours of operation, uh, You know, have pre-checked this out with the doctor, making sure the doctor is ready to treat the patient when they develop COVID-19. Dr. Malone? By the way, by the way, Peter, I saw uh, the the data on the Pfizer drug combination was presented to the active committee uh, this last week. It was their last meeting of the year. And I concur, it looks really encouraging both in the low and the high risk cohorts in the initial data sets that we saw. Um, and, uh, 
you know, I, I don't want to, if, if there's a, if there's a pharmaceutical company, uh, that I have an intrinsic bias against, it would be Pfizer for some reason. Um, but I think that, uh, I think we need to give credit where credit's due, uh, and celebrate the fact that that combination is looking so encouraging. Uh, so, um, I, I, I am totally with you, Peter. And then we have Omicron. Uh, and uh, although uh, the geniuses at Imperial College in the UK, based on modeling, are now raising scare tactics that they think that Omicron is going to fill the hospitals in the UK uh, based on their modeling projections. Remember, these are the guys that were claiming that we were going to have 2 million dead right away in the United States and, and really have overshot the mark with their modeling again and again and again. But, of course, that doesn't stop multiple press uh um, pieces on this, uh, you know, again, amplifying the fear, but all the data uh, repeatedly, and, and I was just mentioning to Tommy earlier, uh, the new latest data coming out of South Africa, clear spike in Omicron and flatline near baseline on death. Whereas all the prior waves have seen following death spikes that are very substantial. I, then we have the Danish data. I mean, it's just, it's looking um, what I said, and, and I'm sorry, Peter, you weren't able to join us in Nashville. Uh, so that's a, that's a, uh, plug. I hope you get to be with our next rally. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but in any case, uh, I went over the, the latest Omicron papers and, and to, a, a, you know, every single one is looking really positive. And as a vaccinologist, I'm going to go out on the limb and say that, if I was to wish to design an infectious, live attenuated mucosal vaccine for this disease, this would be pretty darn close to my ideal. The, Omicron. The Omicron variant, you would say, is is an ideal vaccine. It's it certainly has a lot of the key characteristics. And remember, in in historically, uh with uh, coronavirus vaccines, it's been extremely problematic, veterinary and human, to avoid the, uh, let's say, vaccine-enhanced infection and disease problem. And uh, the veterinary vaccines that have succeeded are mucosal vaccines. They're intranasal. And uh, in Omicron, the, the data, I'm sure Peter is all over this, the data from Hong Kong, uh, because he, ha he has more, his ability to absorb the literature is about an order of magnitude better than mine. Um, uh, but uh, the Hong Kong um, release data suggesting that uh, the pattern of infection is more bronchial and less deep lung. And then there's another set of data that has been uh, released from a laboratory in the UK suggesting that based on their laboratory assays using pseudovirus, that the uh, spike protein of Omicron is much less able to induce cell fusion than prior variants. The only thing negative about all this is that Omicron is able to slip through both vaccines and to some extent, natural immunity. But, you know, that's kind of a good news, bad news story because it means that those people are probably gonna generate secretary IgA, um, which is what we really need, I think, to get us out of the woods here. Uh, unless people are going to go around, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, injecting uh, virus together with their IV drugs. Um, 
So uh, I think thanks for the laugh, Tony. Uh, uh, Tony, I'm I'm uh, I'm I think this looks like uh, Morning in America to me too. Matter of fact, in my national slide deck, uh, I use the sunrise image as the transition from my uh, grim message about mandating pediatric jabs to my uh, good news message about what the data are right now with Omicron. Well, that's beautiful. And it's, it, it's, you know, it's, you have to find that sort of, and not, and not silver lining in the sense that it's like your, you know, like weird analogy, you know, if like your leg gets ripped off by a shark, you kind of go into shock. So your brain shuts down. You don't want to just find positivity for the sake of finding positivity, because, you know, if, if the building's on fire, you can't be going, Hey, you know what? It's a beautiful carpet. Like sometimes you have to get out, but what you guys are saying is there actually is genuine uh, optimism or reasons to be optimistic. Um, Dr. McCullough, thoughts on on anything and everything that Dr. Malone just said? Well, Dr. Malone has published a wonderful, I believe it's a substack, um, but it's a wonderful multi-paragraph summary uh, outlining those findings, which I think are, are key. I was impressed with the, the thing that came over the wire today from Denmark, and it looked like there was an inversion in the proportionality, meaning that Look like Omicron almost was disproportionate among those uh, who are vaccinated. It may just be the early evolution of, of what we're seeing here. Um, but having said that, if it's uh, a mild illness and it gets uh, the vaccinated, you know, additional immunity uh, over time, that I think the freedom of pulmonary complications is welcome. Uh, I have to tell you, I think Delta was very hard. Uh, I thought it was a very, very hard. Uh, 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 it was very heavily contagious seem to really impact young people, longer illnesses. It's been my observation, Delta, longer illnesses than, than Alpha. You know, we had a predominance of Alpha. Uh, when I had COVID-19, I was in research, so I was had the benefit of being, uh, you know, sequenced. I had the Alpha variant, so did my wife, and it was relatively short duration. There was some residual, but we were okay. These Delta infections, I saw a patient today, I believe he had Delta, I think, uh, through all of uh, November. We're now, you know, deep into December. He works for our, you know, our city transit and he's still, his pulmonary exam uh, today was abnormal. He's still, he's coughing. I guarantee when we do uh, chest x-rays and CTs on these patients, they have remarkable findings radiographically for a long time uh, afterwards. He Now, sadly, he got no early treatment. I asked him about it. I said, no, my doctor said there wasn't any treatment. I stayed uh-huh. at home. I kind of gutted it out the whole time. And now, you know, here we are, six or eight weeks into the syndrome. Dr. Malone. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Peter, um, uh, you you kindly did a shout out about commodity. The uh, trials that finally are about to launch has taken us a year and a half. And remember, this is the DOD pushing this to get them through the FDA. Um, they've raised uh, un- just amazing objections all- every step of the way. And they would give us letters. Peter, you'll appreciate this. We would get a letter uh, with concerns in a clinical hold, and then we'd address all the concerns, and then they would take that in, and then they would give another letter with a whole different list of concerns. And that happened four times in a row. Um, they, we had originally planned an arm that would include ivermectin together with famotidine and silicoxib, and we had data supporting that. And... Uh, and they wouldn't let us proceed unless we took the time to demonstrate in vitro the mechanism of action of ivermectin as an inhibitor of uh, 
SARS-CoV-2 replication. Um, so that was their prerequisite is demonstration of MOA, mechanism of action, um, which has never been a predicate to prior clinical trials on a licensed drug. <laughs> um, and, you know, when I'd written the whole section on MOA for them, uh, you know, as Peter knows well, there's multiple uh, mechanisms associated with ivermectin in this disease, but um, there it is. Uh, so um, I... You, you bring up the issue, Dr. Mullen, you bring up the issue of kind of multi-action drugs. And I, I have a feeling because there's so many drugs that are used to treat COVID-19, uh, we're going to have a great interest in, in getting some dual or triple benefit of a drug. So with famotidine, it's uh, not only, uh, you know, in, in theory and probably reality, reducing viral replication to some degree, but it's also an antihistamine, uh, hydroxychloroquine, you know, at least three mechanisms of action, ivermectin three plus mechanisms of action. And, you know, when I uh, published two papers on treatment last year, uh, there were some drugs I didn't include. And, and if I w was to do another uh, uh, modification to the algorithm, I think famotidine would be in. Uh, I have uh, I've been working with an Italian group, Dr. Fazio, on, uh, you know, what's the best way to manage the constitutional symptoms? And uh, we actually have data now supporting that non-steroidal superior to uh, acetaminophen uh, with Dr. Fazio, uh, a, a nice uh, analysis. And then other classes of drugs, I know the Frontline Critical Care Consortium uh, has, and, um, and uh, South American investigators are using anti-androgens short-term. Uh, and even, yep. even yep. The, the, the modest anti-androgen effect of spironolactone, there's another one, uh, praletutamide, I believe. And uh, I don't have any experience with that, but it, there's something interesting about SARS-CoV-2, the infection, and the androgen uh, receptor. And, uh, you know, we see uh, that being leveraged in a treatment. Uh, and, um, and so that's uh, something that would, I think, certainly be up uh, in the in the realm of consideration, and then the other drug I I didn't include, uh, and now has had yet another positive trial is fluvoxamine, fluvoxamine, a yep. trial that weighed in from Brazil, and it's interesting, fluvoxamine in my clinical practice is almost my go-to drug now for a post-COVID long COVID syndrome with neurologic abnormalities, uh, almost by extension of the acute COVID nineteen data, but now I believe we're up to three uh, clinical trials. And this most recent one from Brazil, fairly convincing and a more realistic effect size. So about a 30% reduction in hospitalization with uh, fluvoxamine, uh, a drug that's you know pretty easily prescribed, it's affordable. And so, uh, you know, I've had a good luck with that. But the point is, you know, we have drugs to, to utilize in combination. Dr. Chetty uh, additionally uses Montelukast or Singular, uh, and I do that in my clinical practice uh, based on his experience right now particularly when there's a lot of rhinorrhea or nasal congestion. He also uses cyproheptadine. And so I think if we're not going to use ivermectin hydroxychloroquine in that top layer, that we end up building in a few more drugs. There's one other drug to consider, or two more drugs to consider. One is favipiravir or Avigan that the Japanese, Russia, and other used. And, and you know, communicating with my colleagues there, they've been disappointed that, uh, that favipiravir just is slow to work. It's a single polymerase inhibitor. It doesn't appear to be too potent, and I and I know Canadian authorities were looking at it, but it, it, it probably won't play a major role. Uh, and then uh, the other drug that I was the overall principal investigator on, I work with Operation Warp Speed on this and, and Bayer Pharmaceuticals, 
was romatriban. And romatriban is a combination of uh, basically like an anti-inflammatory, but also it has anticoagulant properties. It's approved for allergic rhinitis in uh, Japan. And we had, a, we had a great proposal that, that that would have moved forward. We couldn't get any light of day with the agencies on, uh, on a drug trial. Wow. At least a year ago. Now there, I, I, I think that, that when the book gets written, um, and by the way, Peter, um, I'm going to uh, solicit directly on Tommy's show for the first time. Uh, would you write a chapter in the book that I've been asked to write by Tony Lyons, uh, who's the one publishing uh, Bobby's book? Um, so uh, you don't have to answer right now, uh, but uh, it's, it, the book is really all about a series of stories um, from people about what they've experienced. And your story is huge. Uh, you know, you are, you are um, uh, the, case, the case study in harassment of physicians. I was going to say, uh, the, you commented about the polymerase inhibitors. So I also, the week before, we got a presentation from Merck on their polymerase inhibitor. And... Uh, it was noted that the apparent effect efficacy, I should say, clinical trials, um, towards the end of that trial seemed to taper. And uh, so one interpretation that was discussed uh, at length within the committee, uh, the active committee, and uh, I think Merck, the Merck representative uh, concurred to a significant extent, was that that was consistent with less efficacy with Delta and the working hypothesis was that the drug may be much less effective in viruses with large burst sizes. And of course, Omicron is the king of large burst size uh, so far. So um, good to know. Uh, and, and clearly the polymerase inhibitors, no surprise to any virologist um, or anybody that's ever treated influenza, uh, you've got to get it early. And, and that early means like in the first two to three days if you want to really have an impact, uh, because as, as Richard Urso likes to say so often, and I'm sure you've heard him say it, uh, with his meta, his metaphor of cars and car parts, um, the, the, the thing that gets you is the inflammatory phase. It's not the viral phase. Um, when you're dealing with all the residual antigen and debris and junk coming from the virus that provokes this hyperinflammatory response, which is what kills you. Um, and uh, that the virus mostly, I think you would concur, with Delta, that the, the chatter is that it's mostly cleared by day five, and um, with the other variants that are a little slower growing by day seven, and then, then you get the second wave. I, I think that's another thing maybe you can comment on because you practice, I don't. Um, it is, I, I hear this story again and again, um, recently heard it from one of my close colleagues who got sick with Delta. And, uh, and he said, well, I took the drugs and I was feeling really good, so I stopped. And then the second wave hit him. <laughs> and he really regretted having stopped his treatment. You know, I want to comment on that. Um, the large trial last year was a, a prospective cohort study by Mokhtari and colleagues from Iran had 28,000 people. It was one of the largest studies, a treatment study. And uh, they featured a five-day course of hydroxychloroquine plus some supplements. And they only treated about 25% of adults. So they really 
are targeting high-risk seniors, and it did have an impact. Uh, I personally uh, certainly have some anecdotes of getting burned on this, going short. And I'd say maybe, uh, you know, maybe a person around age 50 with, uh, you know, who was getting treatment and they clear rapidly, maybe a five-day course, but uh, someone my age, I think closer to 60 and above, I'd say a 10-day course. And for our seniors, uh, people in senior facilities, et cetera, um, I have to tell you, I think 30 days. Now, it may not be 30 days on the antivirals, but I just had a patient today who's 76, and uh, he went full 30 days on the anticoagulants, and I think that's very reasonable. Uh, the Japanese, I know by extension, uh, they continue aspirin, uh, all the way out to 90 days because there are late strokes, uh, there are late uh, atherosclerotic uh, events. And uh, I think we can't be too cautious. In my practice, I did have a patient who uh, earlier in the pandemic had COVID-19. Uh, he had multiple pulmonary emboli coming from his lower extremity venous system. And uh, he had persistent uh, emboli visible by imaging uh, easily nine to 12 months afterwards. And he kept coming in the office. When do I get to stop wow. my blood thinners? I said, wow, I am so impressed. And so when Bruce Patterson presented the data about the persistence of the spike protein in the human body for a long duration after respiratory illness, it made sense that it, it probably does have a pro-coagulant effect in the human body. Dr. Malone. Well, and then we have the, we, then we have the news that the CDC is now recommending against the uh, J&J product. Um, and I, I like to say, uh, look, guys, um, I've been dealing with adenovirus vector technology literally my whole career, going back to those days in the late 80s at the Salk Institute, where the senior postdoc in the lab was the one that was developing the tech, then created the company Crucell and sold that to J&J. So I've been tracking this pretty closely for a little while. And there are other licensed adenoviral vaccines, but there have never been licensed adenoviral vaccines with coagulopathy as a side effect. And, and uh, you know, I, I, this, is, this is one of those, um, it looks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it walks like a duck. It's probably a duck situation. Um, you know, they're, they're, what do we have in common? The virus causes microcoagulopathy un, unequivocally. Uh, the mRNA vaccines cause it. The adenovirus vaccines cause it. So those are different polynucleotides, different delivery systems. What do they all have in common? Spike. It's. I was going to say, uh, Pfizer and the FDA coming out and saying that they recommend against the J&J because it might be dangerous is like, you know, <laughs> Vice President Dick Cheney, former CEO of Halliburton. It's like him coming out in 03 and saying, hey, all these Iraq war contracts should be going to Halliburton, not Northrop Grumman. Those are greedy defense. It's like, hold on. Like, or, 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 or to take another example, Merck coming out against ivermectin was another similarly <laughs> egregious one. I mean, I, I'm sorry I'm laughing. It's, it's gallows humor oh, yeah. because of the, the seriousness of what we're in. But um, they they're uh, they have they have no honor. I don't know what to say. <laughs> they don't care. It's I mean, on a certain they level, they have no shame. I know it's it's insane. At a, on a certain level, yeah, you're right. There is gallows humor where you just kind of have to laugh and you go, "What are we doing?" And it's you know, it's I, I, now that I have you both. I mean, Doctor Malone, I believe I told you, you know, after we did our first episode four ninety five. 
I posted it and someone said, what does this guy know about the vaccines? And I said, well, he invented them. He, I said he invented them. <laughs> and uh, they said, well, Tommy, what do you know? I go, well, this this is me interviewing him. This is the actual thing. And they said, well, you know, what does he know about myocarditis? So a week later, I uploaded an episode with Dr. McCullough and they said, what does he know about it? And I said, he's the most published cardiologist in world history. And then they said about both of you, they said, just because they're experts in this doesn't mean they understand it. And, you know, it does kind of leave it leaves you at gallows humor where at a certain point you just go, I don't know. You're right. What do they know? But I know. Dr. McCullough, but, yeah, what, Tommy, yeah. Let yes, me sir. just say for, for fact-checking purposes, uh, just to, to clarify, um, uh, you, you know, my field before uh, really jumping into COVID is I studied the interface between heart and kidney disease. Yeah, so I published, uh, so I had some kind of dubious uh, distinctions. One of the most published cardiologists in the nephrology literature. Okay. Uh, and to this day, I actually published one of the top uh, 100 papers of all time in nephrology, but I was, you know, obviously a, a cardiologist. I maintained my boards in both medicine and cardiology. So I studied that heart-kidney interaction, editor of the first uh, textbook on the topic. Um, uh, but among cardiology, I give credit to uh, William Roberts, who's at my institution. He has over a thousand citations. And then Gene Bronwald at uh, the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. Now, uh, Bronwald is over 90 and Roberts is approaching 90. Bronwald's textbook of cardiology is the Bible of cardiology. And I've published a chapter in that textbook. Now I'm going on my third decade. Uh, so I, I guess your listeners should have a sense that with Dr. Malone and myself, that we are uh, you know, senior in our field. We, we've looked and examined and dealt with data our entire lives. Uh, Dr. Malone at uh, the uh, you know, very intensive uh, basic and, and clinical translational perspective. And I'm much more from a, a, a clinical uh, trial perspective and large population clinical strategy perspective. But America needs this expertise right now, Tommy, this idea that, that people are going to be discounted uh, in favor of something else. They need this type of, of expertise. Uh, you know, I, I readily admit, you know, I didn't do an infectious disease fellowship, but I think going on two years now, of dedicated study in this topic, I'm pretty far along in getting a handle on viral epidemiology and understanding more and more about vaccines. I previously, I uh, honestly just uh, you know accepted vaccines as as you know advances in medicine and had no problem. Uh, I've taken all the vaccines on the schedule. My kids took all the vaccines on the schedule. In fact, I've been impressed with the pediatric literature about, in a sense, how vaccines have made a huge dent in pediatric infectious disease. You know, we, we used to have pediatric wards in every hospital in the United States. They pretty much shut down progressively over time and they things basically consolidated children's hospitals in the United States and credit was given to vaccination of children that made a, a giant impact on pediatric and, and infectious disease. It's just that when this thing hit, in my view, this was all hands on deck. I think if more doctors like myself and Dr. Malone came out and we had careful exchanges of information as groups, we'd be farther off. What, what America's not seeing, what the world has not seen, is scientific uh, interchange. And, and I think it's hurting us greatly. It's Well, let, let me rip off of that, Tommy, just for a minute. Because um, uh, uh, Peter's, Peter's really touching on some key nerves here. And by the way, I want to give a shout out 
there's two of the three main organ systems that are damaged by SARS-CoV-2 are the heart and the kidney. So uh, if Peter if Peter was triple boarded in pulmonology, he would be um, a grand slam, uh, but uh, he's pretty close. <laughs> what I wanted to mention was the uh, the disclosure of the email correspondence between Cliff Lane, Tony Fauci, and Francis Collins. And uh, those who are, I mean, if you're not in, this is inside baseball. Cliff Lane for decades has been Tony's uh, right-hand lieutenant, top lieutenant, particularly for anything clinical. Um, They're the same age cohort. Uh, But in these uh, emails, we've got Francis Collins chatting back and forth, um, you know, sending smiley faces uh, to the other two clearly stating the intention to damage the reputations and take out uh, three of the most esteemed epidemiologists in the world and asserting that they're not qualified. They're from very small, unknown institutions. As I recall, it was Oxford, Harvard, and Stanford. Um, So uh, I know those aren't as good as Baylor, uh, but uh, still not bad. Uh, but according to Francis Collins, who made his his big career advance, by the way, was running a sequencing lab and being the first to sequence the cystic fibrosis transmembrane regulatory protein and then playing a role in duking it out uh, for uh, with Craig Venter over who gets credit for the Human Genome Project. But that's Francis Collins' claim to fame. Epidemiologist, he is not. Public health official, he is not. Vaccinologist, he is not. Immunologist, he is not. But that doesn't stop him from having an opinion that uh, top full professor epidemiologists from Oxford, Harvard, and Stanford are not qualified to opine on, you know, if your readers, if listeners aren't aware, the topic was that the Great Barrington Declaration was recommending against lockdowns. Okay? And, and you've got on videotape now, Interview by Brett Beyer, Fox News, Francis Collins, flat out admitting that he was doing his best to destroy this and their reputations, totally gaslighting them as not qualified, um, as fringe epidemiologists, and uh, asserting that if they hadn't done lockdowns, millions and millions and millions of more lives would have been lost, I think is a direct quote. And the problem with that is the data. Uh, because there are multiple, multiple studies out that show that lockdowns actually kill more people than they save. And uh, um, there's another obscure publication that just came out with a summary of those in the lay press called the Wall Street Journal uh, that published today on that point. So you got Francis Collins saying, it's okay for me and Tony and Cliff to conspire to destroy the Great Parrington Declaration and force the press to, to diss these three guys, claiming they're not qualified, and and doing everything they can to shut down legitimate scientific dialogue. And this, by the way, is the repeated claim that is well documented in the book on Tony Fauci by RFK. Um, so, you know, anybody that was skeptical, as if RFK's book isn't adequately, I mean, it is, it's hard to read it so heavily footnoted. Um, and uh, um, yet here we have another example, and and 
Francis Collins is is unabashed. Uh, he he is full throated all in. It's okay to shut down scientific discourse and do their best to damage the reputation of esteemed full professors um, because he thought it was the right thing to do. Uh, and, and it was his opinion and Tony and Cliffs, neither of which have the qualifications that Peter has as an epidemiologist, right? Um, uh, that, that is what we've been living with. I'm sorry from that rant. No, um, but uh, I'm really not sorry. No, don't don't be. Your 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 rants are always beautiful, and I, and I know, Doctor Malone. I know you got to run in ten minutes, so try to cram in as much as we can. Um, uh, Doctor McCullough, what you were saying about these experts, but that really is, and not to to toot my own horn. Uh, I wanted to talk about like space travel back in the early 200s of my episodes. So I had on Rob Manning, the chief of NASA JPL, and uh, I wanted to talk about going to other planets. And I remember kind of along the same line, you know, maybe I shouldn't be mad at these Facebook commenters. They kind of pushed me to go farther. But they said, like, that's just sending robots to Mars. Like, that's not real human space travel. So five episodes later, I got Charlie Duke, the 10th man to walk on the moon, and actually asked him what it was like to walk on the effing moon. But see, it doesn't matter if I'm talking. It doesn't matter if Stu Peters or Joe Rogan or Alex Jones. People want to hear because, right, they can do these very quick and easy character assassinations. Oh, RFK, are you a doctor? Oh, Aaron Rodgers, where'd you get your epidemiology degree at? So what you have to do is you do have to bring on the big guns. And you both are incredibly humble. But, you know, you guys do have to go on these shows. I mean, Dr. McCullough just going on Rogan, Dr. Malone, you keep coming back to my little podcast, but you guys are doing what needs to be done. We, uh, the, Dr. Malone and I talked to uh, Dr. Aditi Bargava two weeks ago from UCSF and she's going out and she's saying that, you know, she's talking while holding an academic position. You guys are doing what needs to be done. And, you know, with medicine, it does never stop. You finish medical school, you fi- finish residency, you finish your fellowship, you finish all of your, uh, you know, all of your work, and then you have to still keep going back to these conferences. And I think what we're seeing right now is it truly doesn't stop. Now you guys are in your, what, your fifth, sixth decade of schooling, but now you're learning about, you know, that upper level class, how to fight against some global conspiracy to shut down alternative medication and, you know, save 85% of the people that are being infected. And they're moving the goalposts with, you know, define Dr. McCullough, as you just said about, you know, always been pro vaccine. So I got a booster, but I got a tetanus booster just uh, about two months ago. Like I've always been for it, but they're now moving the goalposts. Right. And it makes me think of when they changed the definition of vaccination. Well, what does that really matter? Well, to everyone listening, I would like to remind you that it has been 79 years this month since the United States has gone to war. 79 years since we have officially gone to war. You may be wondering, what about Korea? What about Vietnam? What about Grenada? What about Iraq? What about Iraq again? What about Afghanistan, Syria, Libya, Yemen, Oman? No, technically, we have not gone to war since December 1942. That's the importance of changing legal definitions of things. It's because I would say we have been at war for a long time. But I know I'm ranting now. Dr. McCullough, thoughts on everything? I just wanted to say, I wanted America to understand that you know, American medicine and medicine worldwide is a collaboration. You know, in my field in cardiology, we have a tradition that's called Bethesda conferences. These were open meetings, NIH, uh, industry, academic doctors, doctors in practice. And we would basically apply our uh, collective scholarship to try to come up with 
you know, either, you know, new understanding of a disease or maybe a new approach for uh, unanswered questions for a research agenda, maybe even uh, a request for applications through the NIH. This is, this is really the bedrock of, of, of what we do. Uh, in many, you know, I trained at, at UT Southwestern in medicine, uh, in, uh, in, in medical school, and then University of Washington in Seattle. It w- it's not uncommon to have citywide meetings, citywide pulmonary meetings or citywide, uh, I remember back in the day, meetings about tuberculosis tur- uh, management, actually, with uh, Seattle with our infectious disease group. Uh, you know, we have had none of that with COVID-19. There aren't any citywide meetings uh, there's no collaboration, no Bethesda conferences. We're not seeing that at all. Uh, and, and we're accessible. Dr. Malone and myself and many others, uh, you know, we're, we're going uh, into cities, uh, giving uh, academic presentations. I gave an academic presentation recently in Chattanooga. And we had a program that was uh, well attended for doctors and healthcare professionals going into science, then one for lay uh, persons, the second one. But uh, one of the uh, individuals in the crowd came up to me afterwards, a very reasonable lady, and she said, Dr. McCullough, I have a very good doctor here in Chattanooga. And I told him, you're coming to town, and invited him to maybe go attend. That you know, there, that We don't have outside experts coming in and giving presentations on COVID-19. And uh, this doctor uh, uh, was very upset with that suggestion. And then he actually took the effort later on to write this lady and her husband a letter discharging them from his clinic, asking them never to return again. I mean, if you look at the effort that it took that doctor and the vitriol to do, I mean, it's unprecedented. Dr. Malone? Actually, that was what I was in Nashville, as you know, last Saturday. And I had multiple um, stories shared with me of retaliation against docs that were administering early treatments. There, There is a culture there it's a little bit wicked. But I, I want to really applaud Peter for his commitment to education, his ongoing commitment, despite all the outrageous slings and arrows that are tossed at him. And uh, I'm going to give another uh, breaking here on Tommy's show. Um, Peter, are you interested in going to Hawaii at the end of January? Yeah, for, I'd love uh, to teaching that. CME? I'm just so booked up right now. There's not a single hour or day um, there, so but we have a lot of things going on, uh, going to be uh, taking place through the months of, of, of January and February, and um, you know at this point in time the the evolution of the knowledge, the uh, burgeoning number of treatments that we have, uh, the positive outcomes. I tell you, I, I just came from a major medical center in Dallas. We are not overrun with COVID. Believe me, the city has COVID well under control. The word is out. Patients are seeking early treatment. Uh, I think there's much more scholarship and analysis on vaccine safety and efficacy. I, you know, you mentioned the uh, announcement on Johnson and Johnson. Um, you know, I have seen in my clinical practice with Johnson. I had a Johnson and Johnson patient today who was hospitalized uh, a week or two as a military uh, a office, a military um, officer, with uh, probably a mild case of myocarditis or mild pericarditis. Is mild and. You know, there's nothing on his exam or review that was worrisome at all. And obviously there's a spectrum. But I've had two women uh, that have both developed spontaneous deep venous thrombosis of the arm, of the arm, well, uh, well. the same arm that received the injection. One occurred, wow. Yeah, one occurred after Johnson & Johnson uh, at about, uh, I think, about a month to six weeks. 
And then the other one, a patient who I know well, I took care of her for, for 10 years. So I know her very, very well. She presented with one at six months. Uh, she also had, you know, the predisposing factors of the one at six months is she had was called thoracic outlet obstruction syndrome and did ultimately uh-huh. as part of the treatment for the thrombus because we had to give emergency thrombolytics uh, is actually ultimately do a vascular surgery. But uh, the, the point I'm making is with uh, Johnson & Johnson, you know, the, the advantage was it was a one injection program, but then, you know, the, the news came out that in fact it was going to be two injections. AstraZeneca, the kind of the analog outside of the United States was always two injections. And now that if the FDA has narrowed the field to Pfizer and Moderna, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Dr. Malone. Well, I can t- to that end, Peter, I can tell you that, you know that there's, I think, half a dozen that are WHO um, authorized. And uh, and I'm seeing encouraging data with the whole inactivated virus vaccines. I, I think that the absence, and then and then uh, my buddy Nick Petrovsky, who I hope to do a podcast with soon, maybe we should do this with Tony, uh, from Australia has uh, got his vaccine um, now allowed in Australia, finally. He had to pay a bunch of money. Um, and he would very much like it to bring the United States. That's another... Uh, subunit inactivated uh, or a subunit um, expressed uh, engine for traditional vaccines. I, I think that the FDA, well, they have done us disservice um, kind of soup to nuts on this as far as I'm concerned. But there is, there are alternatives that are looking encouraging. And <clears throat> Omicron may, 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 may um, turn out to be our friend. Uh, um, I'm sure there'll be people with disease in your hospital, Peter, but uh, um, it's it's certainly uh, looking um, much less lethal and able to displace Delta. Um, so, uh, so there it is. I did want to mention, Tommy, that um, I, I put out this uh, video from Puerto Rico uh, a week ago in which I strongly caution that parents uh, think twice before administering vaccine to their children. And I mentioned that the vaccines are associated with damage to brain, heart, um, coagulopathy, uh, reproductive and immunologic consequences. And uh, this has generated a firestorm. Uh, The thing has gone viral. uh, I've been attacked uh, officially by the governments of Spain, Italy, and Israel. Um, and you know the saying, uh, the flak is worse when you're over the target, bombs away. Oh, yeah. And uh, um, so the Israeli Ministry of Health on Saturday launched a Facebook campaign against Malone, not Dr. Malone, um, uh, who is absolutely not the original inventor uh, and uh, has no legitimacy at all and has been debunked by the likes of Reuters and uh, Atlantic Monthly. Uh, and um, and here's, the, here's the, the silver lining you were talking about. Um, and no, it's not the shark bit off my leg. Good thing I have too. Um, uh, <laughs> um, supporters came out in droves on the uh, Israeli Ministry of Health website and um, just lambasted the Ministry of Health for what they had said about me. 
And then there was an article in the alternative press in Israel that's gotten huge um, traction that also attacked them. And then, um, uh, but here's here's the, the little dark side on that. So I was doing a podcast today with Israel for two, two, day, two hours. And uh, during that, there was a Ministry of Health a statement that issued. So this is truly live, you know, breaking news. Um, they're acknowledging that even with three to four jabs, it's not protecting. And that the Israeli people had to get ready for a wave. But here's here's the, the thing, and I confirmed this with the person that I was interviewing with, that, that is the conundrum. State of Israel, the population is highly, highly vaccinated. You know, they're not now in four. Um, all of Pfizer, of course. But there's natural controls in the surrounding countries, including the Palestinian Authority, that are way, way under-vaccinated compared to Israel. And their mortality rates are in the cellar compared to the mortality rate in Israel. The, the dark side of what we're looking at right now, the data's coming in again and again and again. And I think we have to be cautious, and I'm sure Peter will concur. The confounding variables are um, enormous. Uh, but the data is are sure coming in strong that it's the vaccinated that are getting infected. And that is worrisome. So, so Tommy, I'm gonna we're gonna have to leave it there. I'm gonna have to uh, yeah. join another. But thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely, guys. I'll I'll wrap it up, and uh, as I will volunteer for Dr. McCullough to go to Hawaii with Dr. Malone. And uh, <laughs> but we will wrap this up. What I do want to tell everyone is is 75 years ago today, a wonderful life came out. There are two Christmases you can celebrate: the White House secretary release or a beautiful life or a wonderful life. So choose your reality. Oh, 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 oh Tommy. Uh, Tommy, there's one other thing. On, Dr. Peter's Dr. Had, Dr. Yeah, Dr. McCall, you, you can leave if you if you need to go. It's fine. Um, but he's, I think, Peter, are you going to be at the D.C. rally? Yeah, I'll be uh, arriving uh, later in the day that day. I've got an obligation in Minnesota, but I have some uh, duties the next day. So, um, so yeah, I'll be, I'll be in those circles. So, uh, And I think this is January 24 or 23. Um, I believe that the Sunday is the 23. That's the rally. Um, that's uh, what yep. I mentioned on the Joe Rogan show. And it uh, sh- should be a great, uh, actually a great group of, of, of scientists and other uh, freedom leaders in town. And uh, I think it'll be a great time uh, for America. I mean, what's America's what's America, always unified Americans is, is freedom. And so I think we're seeing that right now, and it's, it's galvanized around medical freedom, which has its linkage to social and then economic freedoms. But, but I'm going to have to go. So, uh, see you guys. Dr. McCullough. Bye-bye. So save the day, January 23. Uh, Peter and Bobby Kennedy and myself and many others are going to talk. Hell yeah. DC. Dr. McCullough, I'll let you run. Um, Dr. Malone. I will absolutely volunteer to go to Hawaii. I just want to put that out there. I will absolutely do that. Um, <laughs> hold on. I'll, I'll stop recording. Hold on.